good evening once again, friends. We're glad that you're able to be with us today. We are uh, looking forward to a great program. We're continuing our series on the way of perfection with uh, St. Teresa of Avila's writings and her uh, uh, reflections on prayer. And I have with me again in the studio this week Francis Harry, a fellow member of the OCDS, the Order of the Secular Carmelites here in Dayton, Ohio. Good Hi. afternoon, Francis. Good evening, Mark. It's good to be back with you and our listening audience. You know, I feel uh, after now, I think, the third time here, like I've become a bit of the weatherman, but I have to tell uh, this brief story. We've had a little bit of rain here in Dayton today, and also we're beginning to see the early stages of spring, uh, blossoms on the trees and so forth. And unfortunately, by consequence, Francis, I'm suffering a little bit from that. Uh, So if our listeners uh, will indulge me both a little bit of... uh, uh, cough occasionally or a sneeze, I'll uh, I'll ask their apologies later or my, extend my apologies, ask their forgiveness. Uh, I don't see you suffering from it yet, Francis, so you must be blessed at this point. I'm hiding it. <laughs> well, you're doing well. You'll have to tell me your secret later. Well, this evening, as I said, we're going to cover uh, St. Teresa of Avila's The Way of Perfection. We're actually going to be somewhere uh, between chapters 6 and about 18 in... Um, what we're using, which is the ICS Study Edition. Uh, if you want to pick up a copy of that, it's actually a very good edition. It has the questions at the end of each chapter. and helps you follow along and get a little bit more out of the reading. And you can find that at icspublications.com. Great. That's terrific. And, in fact, many good texts on both the Carmelite Saints, Contemplative Prayer, the History of the Carmelite Order are available at that site. And uh, we encourage you to take advantage of that. Let us uh, begin as we do each week, though, uh, Francis, if you would lead us in prayer, please. This prayer comes from uh, Teresa's Reflections After Communion. Rejoice, my soul, that there is one who loves your God as he deserves. Rejoice that there is one who knows his goodness and worth. Give him thanks that here on earth he gave us one who knows him as his only son. Beneath this cover of protection, you can approach and supplicate him, because his majesty takes delight in you, and ask that all the things on earth may not be sufficient to separate you from taking your delight in him and rejoicing in the greatness of God and in the way he merits to be loved and praised. May God help you so that you in some small way may bless his holy name and that you can say in all truth, my soul magnifies and praises the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Francis. appreciate that. I said we'd begin with Chapter 6, and we will. I just want to quickly step back to where we were. We've had, uh, for those of you who've been uh, uh, able to be with us each week, you may remember that last week we had a Father Daniel Chowning on with us. Father Chowning is an international speaker in Carmelite spirituality, contemplative prayer. He's a retreat master. And uh, I know that that program has not been archived yet, but will be soon. And if you missed that, I strongly encourage you to go back and uh, listen to that particular program. I think Father Chowning had a great deal to share with us, Francis, and really opened uh, the eyes of uh, those of us who had the benefit of being uh, with him for the entire weekend. But even in the hour-long program that we had with him, uh, I, I thought he had some wonderful insights to share in contemplative prayer. Absolutely. Some great gems of the spiritual life. Well, we're going to just step back quickly into uh, the, the fourth chapter of uh, The Way of Perfection, because 
here, St. Teresa of Avila reiterates something that has been a consistent theme, I think, throughout uh, this series of programs on Carmelite spirituality. It is a centerpiece of Carmelite spirituality. It comes to us from Elijah, and it's this idea of unceasing prayer, uh, not unique by any means to the Carmelite uh, uh, order or Carmelite spirituality, but nonetheless something that our, our, uh, we refer to her as our Blessed Mother in the order, St. Teresa of Avila, a stress is, and this is this idea of unceasing prayer, it raises so many questions, Francis, in the minds of our listeners. How do we achieve this? We've come at this so many ways, and uh, uh, St. Teresa is going to help us again this evening to explore it in greater detail, but it really is the centerpiece of the rule of Carmel, the idea of I stand constantly before the living God in unceasing prayer, reflecting on the law of the Lord. Right, and I think when we stand in his presence, then we start to take on the mind of Christ because he radiates to us, and then what we are filled with, hopefully we radiate to others. So in this unceasing prayer, we're wanting to love as Christ loves. We want to see situations as Christ sees them in its purity and in the will that he has for us to do. So um, sometimes people think that that means they've got to be saying vocal prayers all the time, and that's not what that means. It's more a living in the presence and trying to do all things And it's also acknowledging, as St. Teresa tells us in that very chapter, this requires supernatural intervention. We shouldn't expect that it's something we can do on our own. In fact, I recall Father Chowning saying to us, you know, you may try to retain the thought of Christ in your mind, in an image form or an expression of emotion, of affection, what have you, uh, but you will eventually fail at that. That That is a good effort, and it is something actually that the Lord asks us to do to make an effort. But we will fail at that because ultimately to be in a state of unceasing re- prayer requires a supernatural intervention. The Lord wants to know that we have good will, that we're making the effort, but eventually he takes over. He, he takes up that prayer for us. The Spirit, it says, groans within us because we are, in fact, the temples of the Holy Spirit, the temples of the Trinity, and that spirit groans within us and, and utters those prayers for us as long as we enter in and make that effort. Right, and I think in the sense of failure, of us failing, it's when we're getting attached to what we can do as opposed to being open to what he can do in us. I agree. Well, let us go over these three elements. Again, I want to reiterate love of neighbor, detachment, and humility. St. Teresa tells us these are three critical elements. If you want to deepen your prayer life, listeners, if you want to begin to experience some of the fruit uh, of, of a consistent prayer life, uh, St. Uh, Teresa tells us these will be three of the critical elements necessary for success. So let's begin with love of neighbor. She distinguishes, first of all, Francis, this idea uh, that sometimes confuses us as we begin to enter into the prayer life, and that is the distinction between spiritual love and what she calls sensual love, but she doesn't mean sensual in the way that we might typically think of it. She simply means a human love. And she doesn't mean to suggest that there's something inherently wrong with the sensual love, but she does counsel us that any time there's a sensual or a human, uh, a, a purely uh, human relationship love involved, there is the very real possibility for some form of self-interest, uh, self-esteem, uh, uh, or, or what have you, that taints that love, that makes it something less than perfect, which is the call to spiritual love. So she's very clear about the distinction between these two types of love. 
I think one way we can see that in lives today is when people um, make friendships uh, for what they can get out of them, and so that would be a very base, a selfish love. And so Teresa is going to be guiding us in how to have a pure love. Yeah, and she says very, very uh, uh, practical and approachable her language here. She says, you know, this may be based on simply an attraction, a physical attraction for another person in and of itself, not a, a bad thing. It's how many of us are originally attracted to the person we may end up uh, ultimately marrying. Very natural. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Um, but she emphasizes if that's where our love remains, then it remains a human, a sensual, if you will, a material love. And that is something less than what we're ultimately being called to. She's going to give us some clarification on this in a moment, but it is something less than what we're being called to. Uh, I'm going to take just a quick uh, extract from her book where she emphasizes this. She says, keep in mind that this is a very important point. And anytime time St. Teresa says, this is a very important point, I, I recommend, I know you do, Francis, yeah, we ought to listen. For such friendship is dangerous, harmful even, and a bit of hell for all of the sisters. Now, of course, she's writing to her sisters. We have to put this in context. She's writing to uh, her uh, discalced sisters who are living in the convent. So uh, we'll explain the details here in just a moment. I say that you must not wait until you recognize the serious evil is present, but you should, in the beginning, cut the relationship short by every possible and knowable means. So again, she's emphasizing the importance of acknowledging when we may have entered into a bad relationship. You gave the example, Francis, of a genuinely bad relationship, someone who may be leading us astray, uh, somebody who, may, uh, who, who our affection toward is simply limited to something material, something sensual. Uh, that clearly would be a bad relationship if it doesn't mature beyond that. But even beyond that, if it's still based in sort of a sensual attraction or just a material uh, type of love, which isn't sacrificial, a point we'll get to in a moment. It is not spiritual, but it is a more worldly type of love. St. Teresa is counseling her sisters. Now, again, the, the uh, cloister uh, sisters in the convent, move away from this relationship as quickly as you can. What do we take away from that, those of us who are living a secular life? Is this counsel still appropriate for us? Absolutely. You can think of um, your good friends uh, in the faith, and, and even relationships between, like, your parish priest and yourself, you know, these are good, but the harm comes in is when we prefer that person or try to please that person above and beyond God. So everything we do and the love that we have should be through the eyes of God first and, and not to just please that person or, you know, you, you see this when you have groupies around certain famous um, people. And, uh, you know, they mean well, and, and they're attracted. We're attracted to holy people, and that's good because we learn from their example. Um, but if we ever get to the point when we prefer them to where God's calling us or, or it's so important to get their praise or have their attention or to be getting them things, you know, this is the things I think that Teresa is addressing here. Yeah, that's the fundamental point. You're absolutely right. And I said a moment ago, and she cautions us, that these types of relationships, you can determine if they are uh, something other than the spiritual love by virtue of the fact that we are more concerned about what we are drawing out of the relationship than what we are sacrificially putting into the relationship. Now, uh, she's not uh, uh, 
uh, as explicit as uh, as I just was in terms of that, because we won't necessarily know that. We won't sit there and say to ourselves, with regard to a deeply uh, emotional friendship that we may have established, oh, I'm drawing from this relationship, and I'm offended if this relationship goes awry, or uh, I get offended if, if the person uh, doesn't meet my expectations on a particular front. We may not conclude from that uh, that we've entered into one of these inappropriate relationships, but in fact, that's the criteria. Am I more concerned about the other person, or am I concerned about what I'm getting out of the relationship, validation of my own esteem, validation of my uh, you know, various qualities, uh, attributes, and so forth? That's a very clear criteria for Teresa as to what would distinguish between a spiritual form of love, which she encourages among the sisters, and something that's more worldly or more sensual. Yeah, and I think she helps to address this, you know, love that is in excess, that is out of balance, or the one that is not enough. That's defective, too. So it's it's a pure love that we're after here. And uh, I think one way we can see that is when trials happen to people that we love, are we trying to prevent the trial, or can we go beyond that and see that maybe God is allowing this trial for that person to gain greater merit, graces, learn something more, maybe uh, compassion or uh, perseverance or determination. Uh, So, you know, when we try to look at things through Christ's eyes, you know, limited as we are, uh, but if we can get beyond what we're seeing for ourselves, I I think that we're headed in the right direction. Well, in your point a moment ago about the uh, needs for all of our relationships that draw us closer to God, uh, you know, I want to say for our listeners' benefit, these are not uh, light uh, items that we're dealing with here. This is not insignificant material. St. Teresa of Avila, oftentimes through her writings, likes to say, oh, she's a confused woman, and she's not really sure what she's writing, and she's not sure whether she's communicating. The fact of the matter is, her literature has not lasted in the Church as long as it has. She wasn't acknowledged by the Holy Father, uh, Pope Benedict XVI, just recently, because somehow her writings are confusing. Her writings are very profound, and on the topic of love, and in fact these three topics of love, detachment, and humility, uh, there are few writers in the history of the Church more profound than St. Teresa of Avila. I know, and what she said, one thing about love that really got me as a mother, <laughs> maybe you can identify with this as a father of those children, um, and that is, where there is love, annoyances from one another are suffered easily. Yeah. Oh my goodness, so like when your kids are messing up <clears throat> and you're having to discipline them, you know, if we're really annoyed and we're really outrageously angry about this, that's, that's not appropriate. So um, that is a good measure for an adult to be looking at, well, you know, how deep is my love? And can we discipline without the emotional, passionate response? Can we discipline uh, by being patient with limitations of other people? So that's a good reflection on my own love. Yeah, I, I want to capitalize on this point about... Um the need for our love and all of our loves to bring us closer to God. And again, I'll steal a quote from her. I didn't uh, see anything, but I understood the great blessing there is in not paying attention to what doesn't bring us closer to God. She's writing again to her sisters in the convent. Thus I understood that the Lord gave me understanding of what truth itself is. And when I read that, Francis, I was immediately taken back to Pontius Pilate's question of Christ. What is truth? Well, now we have St. Teresa of Avila's definition. What is truth? That everything in our life must bring us closer 
in relationship to our God, to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to the Holy Spirit, and anything that detracts us from that, or I would argue even leaves us in sort of a middle state where we're not moving forward or backward, in and of itself is something that must be dealt with, if not dispensed with. That's the definition, according to St. Teresa of Avila, of truth, something that always draws us closer to God, and she expects that of every relationship that we form. And I think in relationships, when, when you're friends with someone and they don't have that love of God and they're not wanting to grow in love of God, you you suddenly find yourself growing away from them because it, it's like you can't love anything or anyone that doesn't also share that love or want to learn that love. And so uh, as a result, you know, some of our friendships may be changing because of that. I want to remind our listeners that you are listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. If you'd like to participate in the conversation, if you have a question or a comment you'd like to make, please give us a call at 1-866-333-6279. Well, let's move on. That chapter, that section actually of her text was actually entitled Theory, uh, uh, Spiritual Love in Theory, and now we're going to move into spiritual love in practice. So we're taking these, again, somewhat, I think, challenging concepts that St. Teresa of Avila has to share with us, and we're trying to make them more practical. Let me address this one issue that she uh, brings out in her writing. She says, I recognize, and I'm not quoting directly now, there is a love which is expressed in what might otherwise be viewed in a sensual way, but she says it's that love for another, another person who is suffering the true lover would first consider whether the trial that that person is suffering was good for their merit or, in fact, was simply something that they were having to suffer through. This is a distinction she draws. So there's a almost sensual in appearance or worldly in appearance type of love, but it's a genuine concern for one who is suffering. But the approach that the, uh, the person with a spiritual love would take is is this, in fact, a trial that's leading to that person's benefit? Somewhat more challenging than the way we often look at love. We often, uh, inevitably, in fact, as, as humans, we look at someone suffering, and we want to say, especially if it's a child or uh, some other loved one, we want to say, uh, oh, that's terrible. I can't believe uh, you're, you're having to tr- go through that trial. We want to provide sympathy. And St. Teresa says, wait, there's a level of spirituality here that's a little bit deeper and she says, look at what might be the merit and the benefit of that suffering before we simply default to an expression of human affection and sympathy. Right. It's just like in this pure spiritual love that there's the truth that, you know, we cannot be insincere with someone that we love. We have to be able to be truthful to them. So if they're headed in a direction that is not good, out of our love and of the truth, then we, we have to help them uh, to try to get back on the right path. And uh, like so many great saints, you know, they would rather suffer these things themselves than ha- have the one they love uh, suffer them. And, of course, who knows that better than Christ? Uh, and yet he took all that suffering on for all of us. So um, we have to realize that, you know, God has uh, great wisdom in the kind of, of sufferings that we go through. And sometimes it's because of our sin that we suffer, but but sometimes it's because it's an opportunity to grow in some virtue. Yeah, this is a very challenging concept, not, again, limited by any means to St. Teresa of Avila, St. John of the Cross. Other uh, uh, particular uh, orders teach this idea of the spiritual love, 
expressing itself in sympathy, yes, but also a desire to take on that suffering, as you just said, Christ uh, took on that suffering for each of us. They would want the person to receive the merit as we receive the benefit of Christ's suffering, but they would if they could, and they oftentimes in prayers express this, our saints express this, their desire to take on the sufferings of others. We see this actually uh, outside the Carmelite order, uh, St. Padre Pio, uh, throughout his writings, offering to take on the sufferings of the individuals that he's counseling or providing spiritual direction to. And unfortunately for Padre Pio, oftentimes the Lord indulged him in that, and he suffered a great deal because of it. But he was living the Christian life in the fullest extent. He was taking on uh, the sufferings of the body of Christ and, and taking them on in his very body. We'll talk about that in a little detail in a moment. Uh, that is the highest manifestation. The highest expression of this spiritual love is suffering for the other. Uh, and in often, uh, oftentimes not uh, expecting or hoping or asking even to receive the merit for that, but hoping that the merit... Uh, accrues to the individual that you're suffering for. Very high order of love. I can think of another way that this spiritual love in practice happens in our modern day um, with families with lots of children or teachers in particular or coaches. Um, Teresa's counsel would be to show the same kind of love to all. Another, not to have your favorites. Of course, there are going to be people who appeal to us most um, more than others, but Yet we should extend the same kind of love to each and every person. And uh, so no favorites in the classroom, you know. Uh, you know, try to get each person to excel and to be their best. Yeah, but and at the same time, she does say that uh, genuine theological or spiritual love does not in any way obliterate the human personality. We are still subject to our predispositions. We, we have cultural differences and so forth that lend to certain affinities. That's natural. That's normal. Uh, not natural in, in a negative way. I'm saying that's a normal uh, manifestation of the human experience. But you're right. She says love of this order, love is singularly defined. It is the desire, the willingness to suffer for the other and to take on uh, their trials uh, in hopes that uh, they still gain the merit. A very high order of love, very challenging. And St. Teresa tends to be challenging, as I said a yeah. moment ago. So when we look at those people that trouble us or cause us, you know, um, issues, your non-favorite people, you know who they are, you can see them as an opportunity for you to practice this true spiritual love. It's a great opportunity for us to grow in our own charity. Well, and of course, uh, she, she defers us immediately to the best expression in a scripture of this, and that's First Corinthians 13. Uh, the love chapter where we are told love is patient, love is kind. And then St. Paul does something that uh, uh, we don't often pick up on, but he runs a litany then of all the things that love is not. He's telling us it would not manifest itself in any of these negative ways uh, and, in fact, limits his definition precisely to love is patient, love is kind. Of course, at the end he picks up it bears all things, it hopes for all things, it's uh, you know, love, love never ends. These, these are also manifestations of love, but very direct about what it is, and then somewhat more elaborate about what love is not, because we tend to have our loves tainted and, and misdirected at times, and we have to be careful about that. Well, when you say bears all things, that reminds me of another thing that Teresa wrote. She's talking about suffering the faults of others, and um, so if you're coming across somebody that's very impatient, that you would try to practice the patience uh, at that time, and also to pray for them to God. And then she says, 
practice the opposite virtue. So when they're impatient, you're patient. When they're complaining, you're not complaining. You're <laughs> praising, maybe. You're trying to find something good. Or when they're being very negative, you try to point out the positive. Yeah. Well, let's go back and reemphasize, because uh, I hope, at least the listeners, that you're feeling a little bit challenged on what St. Teresa is calling us to, what the Lord is calling us to, and St. Teresa is teaching us this. And I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. This requires a supernatural infusion of grace and the Holy Spirit to help us raise our love to this level. This is not an intellectual exercise. It's clearly not an emotional experience. It's something that requires the infusion of grace. And, and we only get that. I was going to say, where are we going to get that? Because they're going to want to know. <laughs> through contemplative prayer. Yes. Through, through contemplative prayer, but also developing, as Father Chowning shared with us last week, developing a contemplative lifestyle. We said a moment ago, unceasing prayer is not the intellectual uh, you know, sort of imagery of Christ or even an emotion throughout the course of the day. It is beginning to develop a contemplative lifestyle where we keep that presence within our heart throughout the course of the day. Yeah, a way and, of being. In, in a way of being. In every single circumstance of our day, accepting both the good and the bad, offering those things up to the Lord, and doing the best we can to fulfill the requirements of our individual state in life, and doing so in love. And of course we can get that through the sacraments. But now when you think about it, how often do you have the opportunity to receive the sacrament as opposed to how many opportunities we have to pray? I mean, we have the opportunity to pray without ceasing, right? There, there so. are logistical limitations to our receipt of the sacrament. There are no limitations to our ability to pray without ceasing, right? Well, we're going to take a break, listeners, and when we come back, we're going to pick up on the second of these critical elements, and that is the element of detachment. Again, an area where I suspect there's been a lot of uh, confusion, perhaps misreading or mis- uh, 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 education direction on, on what exactly is meant by detachment. St. Teresa is going to clear some of that up for us. Again, I want to remind you, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home.
we were just uh, picking up on the uh, teaching of St. Teresa of Avila on detachment, and I want to emphasize here, as we did with the discussion about love, both spiritual love and sensual love, as she distinguishes them, in detachment we also have a distinction between material detachment and spiritual detachment. So we'll deal with the material first. It's a bit more uh, objective, yeah, uh, e- easy to get our, our arms around. Uh, of course, detachment means uh, distancing ourselves from things, not being attached to things, uh, not being overly possessive of our material goods. And Teresa advocates all of these things, um, and she gives some good counsel on it. But she also goes back to this idea of relationships. Francis, she tells us, in fact, something somewhat perhaps shocking to the to the modern readers. She says, oh, you need to detach relationships even within the family. Now, we need to put this in the context of who she's writing to in in uh, her time period and, and the trials that they were dealing with in the convent. But uh, she does, in fact, encourage uh, her sisters to detach somewhat from the relations, relationships within the family, doesn't she? Again, she, she didn't want them to uh, befriending relatives just for what they could get out of them, uh, in particular alms for the convent. But we can see that in our own lives, whereas... Uh, if we're attached to a certain person in the family, then uh, are we trying to please them more than what God is calling us to? And sometimes that happens in peer group pressure, where the group wants to do a certain thing, and your little conscience is saying, hmm, I, this might not be such a good idea, and yet you want to please your friends. Or in this case, it might be a family member. So you have to stand strong in the truth here. And, and remember that pleasing God, above all, is most important. You know, I remember a story from St. Faustina's uh, diary where, uh, of course, she had images of our Lord, and there was an instance where she uh, was walking out of the building and had a bouquet of flowers which she intended to carry to someone. And I don't remember if the Lord actually spoke to her or he just gave her a look, but she discerned very quickly uh, that he didn't view this in a favorable way, that there was an over-attachment that was beginning to develop in this relationship. And again, this may sound difficult for uh, uh, the modern listener, the modern reader, to say, well, uh, I'm not sure I understand. Are we talking about having now to, to separate ourselves from uh, members of our family, close friends, and so forth? And I think the question the Lord would ask is, where is your heart? If your heart is such that this relationship is more important to you than the ultimate relationship, as we discussed under the the uh, category of love, uh, and that is the relationship that you have with me, then you may not have to break it off, but you may have to uh, sort of realign that relationship and realign the interaction in a way uh, that makes it more appropriate. This is a challenge, but it is the challenge we're being called to, certainly in Carmelite spirituality, I would argue, in all forms of spirituality, because it's what the Lord is calling us to. He wants to be first. He wants to be the principal focus of our life. And not that we ought not to have these other things, as we'll discuss in detachment, but they must be in proper alignment. Yes, proper alignment, proper balance. And, you know, detachment is beautiful in that it does give us the freedom that we need in order to give ourselves awe to the awe. Well, so Teresa tells us early on in, in uh, this section of the book, in fact, detachment refers to everything. She's not limiting it to material goods or clothing or what other limited possessions the sisters may have had in the comment, or if she's speaking to us, 
he's not limiting it to a discussion about our cars or our jobs or we've already dealt somewhat with the difficult uh, discussion, the topic of relationships with other humans. But she's not limiting it. She says detachment has to do with everything. In fact, again, I'm reminded of St. John of the Cross's discussion about the little bird tied by the thread. Yeah, tell that story. Yeah, That's a good that, that little piece of thread of uh, uh, tied to a bird is every bit as imposing and every bit as much an impediment as a 10-pound weight, if we're talking about a little bird, because it keeps the bird from flying. It keeps the yeah. bird from rising up uh, to its Lord, in this case, the analogy. Uh, so it doesn't matter what the attachment is. In fact, it's the accumulation oftentimes of the little things that we say to ourselves, well, the Lord won't mind if I have uh, uh, an attachment, again, John's analogy, to a pen, for example. <laughs> I happen to have an attachment to a pen, which I'm working on, I'll let you know. But uh, nonetheless, it doesn't matter what the item is. If it's something that the loss of it would cause us to get out of our sort of uh, uh, consistent you know, demeanor in relationship with the Lord, if it would cause us undue frustration, anxiety, or what have you, then we would we would come to understand we're overly attached to something of this world, and somehow that's got to be dealt with. Teresa says everything's on the list. There's nothing that's not on right. the list when it comes to detachment. One of the best examples of this that I see in my environment is that, you know, if I hear or read of a story of a family who's lost their home in a fire, in fact, a block away from where I live, we saw a house go up in flames, and within 10 minutes, it, w- it was totally gone. And yet, the people, instead of being so upset um, and distraught about all that they lost, their first response was, thank God we're all alive and all are well. And, you know, that just really does put things in right balance, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And, uh, again, we're reminded, and we may have shared this story before, Francis, of uh, King David. Uh, Paul tells us about King David, how uh, David was successfully detached, and of course the challenge is, but David was an incredibly wealthy human being. I mean, he had everything. How could he be detached? And Paul, of course, says because his heart was not attached to the things. Now, this is after David, of course, had gone through a bit of a conversion experience of his own. Uh, But Paul's trying to help us understand it is not the possession of the item that that, uh, obliterates our detachment. It is the heart's attachment to it. And the first question we have to ask ourselves is, if I lost that, how would I react? Would I be frustrated with the Lord? Would I be angry with the Lord? Uh, would I think that uh, I had been ill-treated and, and that somehow uh, this was unfair? Then we'll know that, in fact, we have an attachment that is inappropriate in some way. Conversely, a very poor person may be very attached if a poor person is constantly reflecting on the things that they want, the material things, in an obsessive sort of way. And we can well imagine how somebody might do that if they're in need, and of course so many people in our economy today are. But if there's an obsession with the desire to possess, the desire to have, then that person, even though they may be materially poor, still suffers from attachment in an unhealthy way that isn't causing an impediment and serving as an impediment to their relationship with our Lord. I can think of another example. Um, you often hear the stories of how unhappy millionaires are. Billionaires, you know, they have everything, and they keep going in search of this, that, and the other, and yet they're not happy. It's like they know that there's something missing, and I think they're kind of a good lesson for us about the vanity of, of everything, uh, that there is something more that we hunger for, and this something, of course, is the love of God. 
Well, and Teresa says, uh, we must recognize that all things of this world are vanity. There are things we need. We simply have to possess certain things. We have obligations. We have family members. There may be others outside our family that we've made a commitment to support. There's nothing wrong, again, with the material possession. It's the, it's the overly uh, uh, possessive uh, desire for these things or the inability to depart from them, to lose them, to detach ourselves from them. But I want to get quickly into the spiritual element of detachment because what we've talked about is the easy stuff, Francis. And now Teresa is about to take us into where we really live, and that's where our heart is in spiritual detachment. Well, I right before you said that, I was thinking of here we are in in the Lenten period of the church year, and of course many of you have given up this, that, or the other. And of course, as soon as you say you're going to give that up, guess what you want? You know, it's like you want to give up chocolate, you want to give up coffee. That's the very thing that the devil is suggesting you to indulge yourself in. And I think that can happen in the spiritual realm, too. Um, for myself, I, I look at the, the books, you know, that knowledge. You want to, you don't want to miss out on anything. And, and so rather than uh, immersing yourself in the prayer, which is the most beneficial, you start immersing yourselves in the books, and you're reading and reading and reading. So uh, in that sense, there a, a, can be a real attachment. Absolutely. And so Teresa is going to give us some uh, schooling, some counseling, uh, how we can begin to deal with this. Uh, before we do that, I want to remind our listeners, you're listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. If you'd like to be part of the conversation, if you've struggled with detachment, if you've got a victory that you'd like to share with us on your success in detachment, if you've overcome something, uh, and, and most especially if that's contributed to your prayer life, we'd like to hear from you at one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. That's one eight six six three 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 six two seven nine. Please feel free to join the conversation. So let's get into Teresa's teaching about spiritual detachment, because this is where the real work is done. And I'm going to go somewhat backwards from the way that she did it in the text. She tells us one of the great ways to begin to practice, certainly uh, the uh, more material detachment, is simply detaching, giving things away, and uh, not not uh, acquiring the things that we otherwise have an undue passion for. But on the spiritual side, she says, beginning to practice penance is a great way, mortification, doing out uh, without things. And in fact, uh, many of our listeners may know the practice of penance, or what in the Greek is called asceticism, uh, means actually exercise. And just like our Greek forefathers, we need to exercise our spiritual muscles through practices of asceticism, practices of penance, of mortification, of doing without simple denials of the things that we want. And Teresa teaches us that this will begin to help us strengthen our spiritual muscle so that we can take on larger challenges. And I want to just take this one uh, scripture verse uh, quickly as a beginning to this discussion. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the scroll of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. This is in Hebrews 10, 5, and 7. And what we have is, of course, the, the uh, Lord telling us that the way to begin to enter in, and Teresa refers to this quote, is through the practice of the body, offering our body as a willing sacrifice. The idea of denial, 
can begin to lead us into that more spiritual realm of detachment by using what the Lord gave us, and that's our body. And then she goes on to talk about, uh, for her own um, uh, experience, sickness, bodily sickness, and how she responds to bodily sickness. And we may say, but materially, Mark, that's material detachment, isn't it? I'm not overly concerned. And she says, no, 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 no. The material uh, experience of sickness, of illness, of pain, leads us, if we accept it with, where did we begin the conversation? In love, leads us into the spiritual realm of detachment. Right, and I think she also talks about, you know, if this pain is tolerable, then don't complain. And, oh my goodness, don't we hear a lot of the complaining going on? Um, It seems to be a natural thing as we get older, doesn't it? (laughs) Maybe we have more opportunities to suffer, but, you know, we can offer these things up. And if we can try to hold back on complaining about these little things. Wouldn't that make the more serious things stand out and make us more pleasant to be around? Well, and here's the great thing. Many people may not uh, think this great once I say it, but nonetheless, uh, the great thing about sickness and material, uh, I'm sorry, of physical pain is we can all be assured of getting more than our fair share of it. It's the reality of the human experience. We will be given these things. In fact, Teresa says, um, so often as we get deeper and deeper into our spiritual walk, we will begin to express that love that we talked about earlier, and we'll say to the Lord, I want to take on big challenges. Lord, I want to suffer for you. I want to do what you what you ask of me, and I want to be a, a sacrificial lover uh, as part of our relationship. And, and Teresa says, I, I see this so often in the convent, and she says the reality is these, are from, these words are coming from the very same sisters who can't stomach the minor challenges that are given to them. Cold weather or insufficient food or... Uh, food that isn't tasty, or bad clothing. She says they can't even deal with those things, and yet they're sit, uh, sitting there praying for the larger sacrifices. And I think the Lord's counsel to us, as uh, St. Teresa's is, start dealing with those little inconveniences that I'm going to give you more than your fair share of in every single day of your life, including the physical pain, including sickness. And when you've exercised yourself in the asceticism of dealing with those minor challenges, then I'm going to give you the big challenges. This is exactly the teaching of St. Therese of Lisieux, Francis. She teaches us about the importance of the little things. Oh, because we get those opportunities of those little things so much more often than the big things. Now, I think another area that Teresa talks to us about detachment is the detachment from um, rank and honor, having uh, being the most respectable, the most favored. And, you know, we can get hooked on being the one looked up to, can't we? Well, and again, uh, we may uh, uh, confuse this as a, uh, as a material t- type of detachment that we're being asked for, but in fact, it deals with our psychology. In fact, she says very, uh, very clearly, uh, one of the things that impedes our progress in the spiritual life is our unwillingness to lose our esteem in the, in the uh, view of other people, that we don't want to have our... Uh, image tarnished in any way. We don't want to appear uh, to be, uh, you know, challenged uh, either in terms of our opinions or uh, our prestige, as you said. If we are of some rank, whatever that's defined of, uh, as in our society, we certainly don't want to be challenged by someone who we may view to be uh, below that rank and position in society. She says this goes right to the heart of our next topic, humility, but it deals with this interior detachment. Are we able to detach ourselves, in effect, from ourselves? And in, in, in fact, that's the, the way she phrases this particular section of the book. She says it's detachment from self. 
when you move to detachment from self, you've moved into that interior area where the work is really difficult, where we wrestle with our own mind and our own thoughts. Yeah, and I can think of an example like if you're being praised or you're being looked up to, then she says to counteract this tendency for, you know, getting big-headed, so to speak, you know, go do some lowly task. You know, if you're the president of a company, don't be afraid to pick up the trash. You see it in the middle of the aisle. Or, uh, I just like this business uh, model of the servant rather than everything flowing up to serve the, the leader of the corporation. It's when the leader is, is serving all the rest to try to make things all come together. And who better modeling that than Jesus? Well, and again, you're right. Scripture tells us on this very topic of wanting to retain our reputation, wanting to retain our uh, rank, as you said earlier. And, of course, these things were very important in Teresa's time. Uh, family and rank and title were very important, but they're no less so in our time. I think they're just rephrased. Uh, we wear the title vice president, or we wear the title of rock star or superstar athlete, or oftentimes we wear the title, you know, uh, a great mother. Somebody is identified as a wonderful mother, and those are admirable traits and admirable titles. But if we become overly attached and we're concerned that people would view us as something less than that, this is where Teresa is telling us, you've got to start to look on the inside because that's not the way Christ modeled it. And in fact, from Scripture again, Matthew 16:25, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. And we're not talking about just the loss of uh, our physical life here, but it's this idea of reputation. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, how can we find it in this world if, in fact, we're gone? It doesn't refer just to that. It refers to our willingness to die to self, to detach ourselves from however we think people have begun to view us, and our unwillingness to allow that esteem to be diminished and tarnished in any way. In fact, the Scripture calls us to do just that. And I think if we look like through the eyes of Therese, the little flower, all is grace. All these opportunities are grace, and how we respond to them is a good measure of how deep is our love. Well, and I want to emphasize here, because St. Teresa does, that these particular uh, forms of detachment, she says, can be practiced anywhere. You don't have to come to the convent, she says, sisters, in order to do this. In fact, she says uh, early on in this section, uh, don't think that because you've come to the convent that you're somehow guaranteed. She said, you may have dis- dispensed with a whole bunch of material uh, possessions and maybe even titles and all the rest of it, but she says that's no guarantee that you're going to practice detachment because if in your heart you begin to develop those relationships that we talked about earlier that are inappropriate or you have some attachment to uh, something from uh, the, the world that you brought with you, you will still be attached and there'll still be work to be done in terms of uh, removing that blockage which impedes your progress, your spiritual progress. And that reminds me of a, a person who once commented to me that, you know, uh, when she was reading about Teresa of Avila, how often she referred to herself as wretched and a low, vile worm and all of this stuff. And, you know, the person was trying to understand that. And I thought about that for some time, and I realized that, uh, you know, Teresa was practicing some deep prayer. She was frequently at prayer. I mean, the nuns themselves had two hours of mental prayer, you know, one-on-one prayer a day, one in the morning and one at night on top of all the liturgical prayer and, and just praying unceasingly. And I think that the more you pray and the more you know who God is and who you are in relationship to him, the more you become detached, 
uh, because you see the truth of I, the situation. Yeah, that's very good point, Francis, and I think that's it. In prayer, and it may not happen, by the way, in the moment of prayer, you know, if you're praying for, say, 15, 30 minutes in a given day, it may not happen in that very moment that the Lord will reveal to you, this is your attachment. These are the things that you need to distance yourself from. But over time, if we're consistent, I remember, again, Father Chowning shared this with us, uh, more likely than not, it will come after prayer. Somebody will say something in conversation. You'll read something in a book. You'll hear something, hopefully, on a radio program like Carmelite Conversations, and you'll say, I now recognize an attachment that I need to get rid of. Well, let's move on. We've got uh, about uh, six minutes left, and I do want to talk a little bit about humility, about uh, St. Teresa's teaching on humility. Again, she picks up and starts uh, the theme of humility from this idea of our willingness to uh, diminish our esteem, diminish our perception of ourselves. She says, in fact, that uh, we've got to begin to uh, practice a selflessness, uh, not being concerned about self. I I, uh, uh, failed to identify one quote that I wanted to draw back from her where she talks about sickness, and she said, you know, we're overly concerned with the body. We need not be overly concerned with our bodies. And she said, the Lord taught me this by uh, my having uh, developed too much concern for my physical body, and so he gave me rather consistent sickness, and it taught me well what I needed to detach myself from. But, but she says the same thing here, practicing selflessness, but also practicing silence in the midst of the trials in our life, practicing silence when we're falsely accused. This is the highest level of humility, when we, in fact, are falsely accused, as Christ was, and yet remaining silent and silent in the midst of that. This is the level of humility that she's calling us to. Again, from uh, Matthew, I want to quote the scripture, Take up my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am meek and humble of heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. Matthew's telling us here that Christ, having been the example of silence in the midst of very difficult times, was successful because of his inherent meekness and his humility and is willing to go into silence, putting all these things in the hands of his Father and knowing, uh, ultimately, uh, what the outcome would be, knowing that his Father would love and care for him, and ultimately he would be brought back. Uh, But it's that willingness to die to self, to become a humble person, and to be silent even even in the midst of uh, unfair condemnation. Right, that's a a great example of that selflessness, or even you could call it self forgetfulness, so that you're not doing my will, but thy will. Well, and in fact, Teresa tells us that the very centerpiece of successful prayer is humility. If we want to be able to advance in the degrees, various degrees, certainly she stresses this idea of love. She stresses the, the, the idea of detachment. But even in detachment, she talked about, we didn't pick up on it there because we wanted to wait till we got here, but she emphasizes very dramatically this idea that if we are going to be successful in prayer, we are going to have to practice humility. The queen, in fact, she says, uh, of, uh, uh, of prayer is humility because humility draws the king into our prayer experience. And therefore, like the queen, uh, our blessed mother, humility draws our king, our Lord and Savior, into our prayer experience. Yeah, I think I've heard it said, humility makes God surrender. I think that's beautiful. Well, I want to give one other quick quote here because it sort of encapsulates what we're talking about in uh, in Christ and in his example of humility and meekness. 
This is from Philippians 2, verses 4 through 8. Have this in mind, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, counted not being on equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, death of a cross. Well, that's sort of the capstone comment, I think, for this evening, Francis. That's our Lord and Savior. Amen. He didn't have to come down. He, of course, didn't uh, change his uh, position in heaven in any way for the sacrifice that he made. It was totally dedicated to the other in love, detaching himself, if you will, for a time from uh, his uh, glory to enter into our world to save us. And we're asked to do the very same thing. We're, we're so often, I think... Uh, confused about our call in Christianity, it is not simply to be saved, it is not simply to accept the gift, it is to become the gift, it is to become love, it is to be what our model has shown us we must be, and that is a uh, humble, meek, uh, loving a person detached from those things that impede our ability to make progress towards them. Yes, I, I think that reminds me of that scripture passage um, about I'm meek and humble of heart. Well, I want to close with a uh, final prayer and thank our listeners. Again, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations here on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home. A quick programming note before we close with prayer. Uh, we won't be here next week. There'll be a, uh, a three-day mission going on, and so there'll be a, a wonderful speaker. I'm not going to provide the highlights on that, but a wonderful three-day mission. And, and uh, Francis and I will be back with you in a couple of weeks doing the last section on the way of perfection. We'll be talking about Teresa's teaching on the Our Father and the prayer of quiet, which is really the beginning stages of contemplative prayer. So you won't want to miss that. Oh my God, source of all mercy, I acknowledge your sovereign power. While recalling the wasted years that are past, I believe that you, Lord, can in an instant Turn this loss to gain. Miserable as I am, yet I firmly believe that you can do all things. Please restore to me the time lost, giving me your grace, both now and in the future, that I may appear before you in wedding garments. Amen. That's from St. Teresa of Avalon. We may have read that before, but it's worth reading again because we may have wasted some time in the interim. It's always good to recapture that time. We know the Lord can do that. Well, thank you again, Francis. It's been a pleasure. I uh, look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. And for all our listeners, uh, as I say, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. And look forward to it. God bless.